Growing up in church as a kid, uh, if you don't know, I grew up in church. I was born and raised and, you know, crawled under every pew and did everything like that. Like I'd sit in services and back then you went to church in the morning and then you went back to church in the evening every single week. And, you know, it was those hard pews, right? The wood pews, no cushion whatsoever. And I'd bring my little Hot Wheels cars and every now and then I'd like let one go and it would go slide down the pew and you'd hear it like against the pew and then I'd be relegated down to the floor. Uh, you know, get down there and play, not on the, not on the pew. Uh, so I grew up in church. And many times we had songs that we had learned as kids. They were simple songs that would try to help us understand deeper truths. And one of those songs had uh, a deep and powerful meaning found in the lyrics. Uh, and maybe you, you've heard the song and you know this song. Some of the lyrics go like this. I'm not going to sing it for you. I'll just say it for you and you'll catch on. Um, some of you will anyway. One of the lyrics was this. I just want to be a sheep. Ba, 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 ba. Another line in that song went, I don't want to be a goat. No, nope, nope, nope. Because they've got no hope. Or maybe this line, uh, I don't want to be a sad, you see, because they're so sad, you see. There you go. You guys are catching along. You could have been right there with me. Or I don't want to be a Pharisee because they're not fair, you see. And I don't want to be a hypocrite because they're not hip with it. All right. You guys brought me right back to my childhood right there. Maybe I helped you go back as well. And as a small child, uh, that would be all you need to know to avoid goats, Sadducees, Pharisees, and hypocrites, right? Whatever they were, you knew you needed to avoid them, and you did not want to become one, you know? But growing up, it becomes a lot harder, though, to identify all those nefarious characters in that song. It seems like the very things that they are doing are specifically to cover up the fact that they are those things. They don't always appear hopeless, sad, unfair, and unhip. Sometimes they're the ones that say they're setting the standard for you to live by, right? More so, we find it's a lot easier to be one of them than we thought. In fact, our sinful nature wants to drag us in that direction quite naturally, which is why we deeply respect those whose word and actions match and align, don't we? It's a foundation of trust when somebody says, this is how to live and this is how they're actually living. This is what you need to do and you look at their life and they're actually doing it. And we say, wow, we see their character and we go, I can trust them. The more significant there is in a gap between our words and our actions, though, the greater potential for losing trust and respect grows. And in our following of Jesus, when we set out on a path to be quite serious about our discipleship, our following of him, we can find that this type of behavior It's quite annoying, isn't it? It's frustrating and even unsettling when we see it in people. We look at others who claim to be doing the same thing that we're saying we're supposed to do, but the fruit in their lives doesn't match. So a question this morning is, are you annoyed with people 
who are all talk and no action. Can I get an amen? Amen. Amen. I don't think you've ever heard me say that before, have you? Can I get an amen? I'm not that type of preacher. Sorry about that. You can listen to Pastor Jason's messages. He'll always get you to repeat stuff and say stuff and copy along with him. Works for him. It doesn't work for me. So we'll just keep going. In Israel, during the time of Jesus, in order to talk about who this type of person was, they had actually adopted the Greek word, which was hypocrisis, which you don't need to remember. But that is the word that we get hypocrite from. Right? They didn't have that word in Aramaic when they were walking around, but they, they grabbed it from the Greek because the Greek had something called actors. It was defined as an actor who assumed a character, a stage actor, to conceal or to give a false appearance, to disguise, to pretend. That's what it was. But it also had a more damning uh, definition. It was known as acting in an insincere fashion, being deceitful. They grabbed that word from the Greek and said, this is what people are acting like when their actions and their words don't line up. They're an actor deceiving people into thinking they're one thing when they're not. In the Gospels, which are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those first four first books of what we call the New Testament, we see Jesus leveling that accusation almost exclusively on scribes, Pharisees, and, and priests of his day. Now, scribes and Pharisees, we're going to see that a lot in the scriptures that we're going to look at right now. And their role in society was both religious, but also very civic. Because in, in Jewish culture, there was no separation of church and state, right? They didn't separate those things. They were all together. And so your religious leaders were also your civic leaders because your faith did not separate from the way you lived your life. It had to be totally intertwined. And so scribes, they were, they were like a lawyer, right? They were the ones that did all the deals and made all the, made sure your house, your house like uh, papers are all signed and everything like that. They were the scribes. They were the ones that would write all the legal documents. They would have copies of the Old Testament scripture to reference in order to make sure everything was going according to the law. That's what their role was. And Pharisees, their role was as teachers to, to give the law and, the, and everything to the people and to help them understand and walk in those ways. That was their rule. Not just for Sunday living or for them Sabbath living, for everyday living. But they would put burdens on people that would at best seem like, you know, unnecessary, but mostly were unbearable. And this is why it was so confounding and so crazy when Jesus, who would have been seen as a rabbi, a teacher, something similar to the Pharisees, he said to them, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. No teachers, no rabbis, no scribes, ever came promising rest from their burdens. 
Only more burdens. Only more stipulations. Only more regulations. Only when you thought you were measuring up, there's actually a bit more that you needed to do to actually measure up. And Matthew, in his gospel, which we've been we're starting to work through and we're, we're, we're almost at the finish of in our, our Becoming Heartstrong daily readings, in his good news telling, which is what the gospel is, is inviting us to see that Jesus asks us to, be, to come to him, to even cast our cares on him, which is amazing. That all that burden gets put on him. And as pastor and theologian uh, Tom Wright would say, Jesus will bear the complete weight of our burden of sin so that we will never again have to carry that weight all on our own. And yet there's Pharisees and teachers and scribes who want to add more. And we too can lose our way and become hypocritical in our following. And the gospel they preach is so different than the gospel that Jesus came to bring. And because this is true, in Matthew chapter 23, he gives a series of eight woes, stark warnings that each of us should heed and look at. And so if you have a Bible, whether digital or, or a paper, like an old-fashioned paper version, love for you just to turn to Matthew 23, and you're just going to see as we're going to go through a number of scriptures in that chapter. In Matthew 23, verses 1 to 4, it says, Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you. So they're actually in their proper place within the culture. Scribes and Pharisees were there to take the law of Moses and everything Moses had given the, the people of Israel back when they first became a nation. They were there to help understand the law that, that had been given. So they were doing what they were supposed to do. But then he says, but not the works that they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. See, the issue isn't the law itself. It's not what God had given us. The law is perfect. God gave it to us. His standard actually can't be lowered. The issue is when we don't live by it ourselves, but expect others to live by it perfectly, because when they do, it benefits us. Can you see how this can happen in the church today? Where somebody could teach a gospel that they don't necessarily live up to, but they expect others to because it benefits them. Today we're going to look at eight woes from Jesus that should help govern our behavior and expectations of those who are called to lead. Let's dive in. First one. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. We carry influence. Full stop. You carry influence. You are light in the darkness. You are a city on a hill. So be mindful that, you, that uh, the life you live, the advice you give, your opinions, 
that you share, your influence that you hold, that it leads others towards Jesus, towards the kingdom of God, and not away from it. Don't distract people from who God is and what he has for them in how you lead and how you use your influence. That's big. Right off the start, we can see how they were leading and it wasn't the way God wanted to. But we're going to keep going. We're going to keep going. There's going to be a number of them here. One woe, depending on your version of the Bible, it may, not, may or may not be included in it. And if you look at your Bible right now, if you have one, and if you're scrolling down, if you look at verse 13, well, one we just read, and then look at the next verse, what verse is it? 15, isn't it? Most of your Bibles, you're going to see it go 13, 15. All right? The reason why is because uh, verse 15 wasn't found in every single manuscript of the book of Matthew. Another of them had it, and another, uh, other versions didn't have it. And so they left it out, or maybe you'll see a little note or an asterisk telling you that there was another verse in there that some man manuscripts didn't have. But we do find it in both Mark and Luke. We see this exact verse and phrase that he uses. And so... All right. We're just reading it out. Perfect. Awesome. Uh, so let's read it. And it's verse 14. It's, it is in scripture, but uh, your Bible may not have it. But I don't want you to think I'm taking scripture out of context. It says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses, and for a pretense you make long prayers. Therefore you will receive the greater condemnation. The Pharisees were almost always from a wealthier class, all right? And they were using their position both in the church and in class to take advantage of widows, literally bankrupting them and having their houses. And how does that work out in today's culture? How do we see that? Today it can be seen similarly in prosperity preaching. Seeing the poor, the elderly, the disenfranchised, bankrupting themselves because of the slick words of preachers promising heaven while playing an act for a camera. There's a warning for us all there, though, to not take advantage of the poor in our business interactions for our own gain, because there is a greater condemnation for those that profess faith but then take advantage of the poor. Then it goes on in Matthew 23:15. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte, which just means a convert. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as you yourselves. Wow. That's harsh, isn't it? In how we influence one-on-one -on -one or one to thousands, is it the gospel of Jesus or another gospel? Do we lead others to try and earn their salvation or to receive a gospel of grace and truth through Jesus? They would travel to great lengths, Pharisees. They'd go from town to town trying to convert people and have people follow their faith. But the faith that they were instilling in them was a faith of works, having to complete and do all 613 laws of the Old Testament in order to be right with God. And Jesus said, There's, come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. 
It wasn't the salvation at all that the actual Old Testament was pointing to. It's clear when we look in the Old Testament, it kept pointing to one need of salvation through a Savior that would come. But they didn't look at that. They skipped over it and found how can we earn our salvation. And that temptation is still within us. But we'll keep going. The next one in verses 16 to 17, woe to you blind guides who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold in the temple, he's bound by his oath. You blind fools. For which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? What is he talking about here? That one seems confusing a little bit for us because we don't, we don't do that sort of thing now. But they would create elaborate ways to get out of doing certain things and to be able to trump other things in their oaths because oaths in their culture were very sacred. It is like, it's like a legal binding document in our culture today. Their oaths would obligate them to fulfill. And there are some oaths that became sacred that you could not, you could not get out of. Most oaths, you could find a way to like work around it, compensate, do whatever, same thing we would do today. But some oaths you absolutely had to fulfill. And they would find ways around it by saying, yeah, you made that oath on the temple. But if you make another oath on the gold in the temple, that one is actually superseding the other one. So you can get out of whatever other oath you had to do. Crazy. It was something in their culture where they had to take care of their parents when they got older. As the parents became elderly, there was no CPP, OAS, there was no pension plans or anything like that. You either were able to work, and then when you got older and you could not work anymore, you became a dependent. And it was the obligation of the children to take care of their parents. And they would make oaths and give oaths to the church instead of being able to have to ob the obligation of taking care of their parents they would get out of the care and the justice that God asked them for by making other oaths. So we need to be careful about what we do. Let your, yes, what does it say in Matthew 5, 37? Let what you say simply uh, be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Be careful what we say yes to and what we say no to, what we promise and what we don't promise. Let our yes be yes and our no be no. Let it be that straightforward. Let us be known as people of character. Honor your word. The next woe. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. They would be the most, they would be so particular in their giving that they would go through the cupboards and tithe on the amount of spices and herbs they had in their cupboard. Everything that they had, the tenth was given. Ten percent was given. And today in our culture, we can be very attentive to tithing to God. And this is good. Because we can see even in these verses from Jesus that it's even anticipated that, that we will honor God with our finances in that way. You're stopping here and thinking that you fulfilled what God requires falls deeply short. 
And the Pharisees would have known what Jesus was talking about because they would know from the prophet Micah in the Old Testament, Micah 6, 8, where it says, he has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. So is it right to give God back 10% but allow God... Uh, sorry, it is right to give God back 10%, but allow God to speak to you about how justice and about how kindness and about how humility will impact your life, including the other 90% of your resources. The next woe is one that had a profound effect on the church uh, back then. Most of the New Testament, all the, all the epistles, the books written to churches, you see a lot of the writing focuses on this next woe. It exposes, uh, when it's exposed in the life of leaders, it hurts many, it disillusions many, and it makes skeptics of a watching world. It says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but the inside... They are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, then the outside may be clean. We are to seek to daily live where the gap between our internal Christ-like character and our outward behavior are as small as possible. Because seeing Christ for who he is profoundly alters us. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, it says, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of, of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. We're to make it our aim that before we die, by the power of the Holy Spirit to have that gap be as small, as small as it possibly can between how people see you acting and how they hear you talking. That gap in between them gets narrower and narrower over time so that there is no differentiation between what you say and what you do. That's enough work for today, but it's also the work of a lifetime. This theme is so important that Jesus repeats it again and in a different way, knowing the temptation that will be there for us to fake our righteousness. He says, woe to you Pharisees and scribes, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness so you also, also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Hypocrisy, he's been saying that all along, but now he adds in lawlessness. This is the casting off of godly restraint. Believing that God's boundaries, it may apply to others, but it doesn't apply to you. It leads to such ignorance that we don't even see the corruption inside of us. Death is within us. And I guard my, my words carefully here, but maybe 
Maybe you've met someone of faith that has the standard of holiness and righteousness that others must meet. But inside, when others don't meet it, there's such bitterness and anger towards them for not meeting that righteous standard. The outside looks clean and righteous, but inside, if others don't meet that standard, the death inside them starts reeking out. The anger comes out and exposes the death inside where Christ should be found. And if you noticed, as we read through, there was a deepening and a deepening of Jesus' critique against the Pharisees and the scribes. Hypocrites playing the part, deceiving others. Our hearts journey from glory to glory through the Spirit, or their journey from hard to harder through the flesh. It's a call for us to live by the Spirit, let go of anything, anything that could hinder us in following Christ. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the, the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in the shedding of the blood of the, of the prophets. Thus you witness against yourself that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. That's like God saying today that we wouldn't have been the people who found Jesus' teachings hard. We would have been like, oh, no, I'm totally in alignment with what he's saying. Or we wouldn't have been the disciples who were terrified in the storm that we would have been so calm knowing that everything's going to be okay. Or we wouldn't have been the disciples who fled when the soldiers came to arrest Jesus. Or we wouldn't have been the disciples who denied knowing Jesus when confronted to the point where we would deny needing Jesus to die for our salvation. How much pride fills us when we convince ourselves of the act that we're putting on for others. And this is actually a way of living against Jesus. He says he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by him. And when we say we are personally strong enough not to fail, we're saying Jesus isn't needed. So don't follow the life, the advice, or allow the influence of those who are opposed to Jesus and his kingdom. The Antichrist isn't only a person. It's a way of living that's opposed to the way of Jesus. Maybe as we went through these eight woes, you might have had an, ah, it might not just be the Pharisees that Jesus is talking about in that moment. And if so, just like Nicodemus, a Pharisee who came to Jesus searching, or the scribe that Jesus said was so close to the kingdom of heaven, everything that Jesus says and does and did and endured was to bring us to a moment to hear him say, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls.
for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. So if you struggle with people who talk but don't do, who put on an act for us about their righteousness, carefully, carefully examine what's going on. Carefully examine the role that they play in your lives. You know, we should be slow to judge at the same time others and their motives. Because we could quickly look at one person and see and act where their actions and their words don't line up and yell, hypocrite. When in reality, they are just a broken follower like you, trying one day after the other to close the gap. So we don't look around pointing fingers at all the hypocrites in the room. Instead, we examine ourselves. We ask God to cleanse us. We believe the best about others. And we ask for clarity and discernment in whose voices we listen to. We walk with people as they continue to narrow that gap between who they are in the flesh and who God says they are in the spirit. We keep walking together so that gap between those two things narrows. And as it does, the gap between us narrows so that we see each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. And we walk in humility together. 